Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pursuit of Confidence podcast. My name is Tina and I'm a certified life coach. Let's get to it. Today we're going to talk about how you can determine where your life goes no matter your upbringing. So I grew up in Ferndale, Michigan, and we moved to the neighboring city as well, Hazard Park. So I went to those two public schools in those two cities. I am the middle of six kids. Technically, there's seven of us because my mom had a son before she married my dad. I am a fraternal twin. There are four boys and three girls. My mom was the one who always worked, and my dad never held any jobs as I was growing up. Dad always told us he was legally blind and couldn't work. Now, we found out later that he was actually lying about all this, as well as his age. And we knew this because when he died, we all thought that he was 50, but his siblings had told us that he's been lying about his age for years, and he was actually only really 48. Dad loved to party. Mom usually worked midnights. He would invite the neighbors over and have these huge elaborate parties that lasted until us kids got up for breakfast. I mean, there were many times where we would get up to have our cereal and there would be just some stranger at our table eating that very cereal we were looking for. There would be remnants lying around displaying the good time that was had. Dad always slept on the couch. I mean, never have I ever seen him sleep in a bed. So he was always there, conked out on the couch while we were scounging for our, our breakfast. These mornings would have to be, we would have to be especially careful to not make a sound. Because if we did, we knew that there was a heavy price to pay. And heavy price was either his fist, his slap, or his hand pulling on our tender head. Now, Dad had strict rules that us kids were to be barely seen and never heard. We stayed in our rooms during the winter months, and in the summer, we could be in the backyard in the park. In the 80s, that's how it was for most households, but in our case, we were scared to even want to go in the bathroom. Me and my little sister used to break into the neighbor's house down the street, and we used to play in their playroom. One time, five of us six kids broke into another neighbor's house just to get food. I mean, we rummaged around that kitchen and stole their bologna, their ham, their crackers. I remember being so hungry that day that bologna just sounded so good. And I didn't even like bologna. I was just hungry. There was another time I was about nine and my older sister was 10. We had no food. And dad always complained that he needed us kids out of the house so he could think of how to get money to get us kids fed. My older sister piped up and she said that someone owed her $10 and that she could get us some hot dogs. So first of all, How does somebody owe a 10-year-old kid money? I mean, unless they did chores for them or something. But, like, Dad didn't even think of that. And if he did, he didn't say it. So I don't know what exactly he thought we were up to. But off we went, us three girls, to go get this supposed $10. We ended up going to the local grocery store. There was this Farmer Jack that we used to always go to. We walked to it. And my older sister told me and my little sister to go look at the magazines. And then the next thing we know, we're being herded back into the back room with security. Don was caught stealing a loaf of bread and hot dogs. The local police escorted us home. And what did they find? An empty fridge. Now, here's a really good point. Dad was so good at BSing people that he BSed these police officers 
into thinking we were just waiting for mom to come home with groceries. And he had no idea why his kids were at the grocery store stealing in the first place. He thought we were just at the park. And then he talked to the police into, of course, letting it slide because we were only nine and 10 years old. But I remember thinking, watching my dad talk to this, these two police officers, why don't they believe us? Why isn't somebody helping us? We're hungry. I don't really remember if we kept the food or anything like that. I do remember that the fridge was empty. And I do remember the police officer looking in the fridge. And they let it go. I Still to this day, I'm, I'm shocked at that. So mom was gone all the time. She was either working or going to school. She had night classes. She was trying to get into nursing school. And this is when dad would take the opportunity to do his drugs and have his parties, like I said. But he would be drugged up all the time and he would torment us kids. He had us line up, youngest from oldest. Now, he did not allow us to be haphazardly lined up. Even when he would take us to like to the corner drugstore to get his pop and cigarettes, he always had us line up outside, youngest to oldest. And he would tell us how his stepdad would beat us, beat him, and how he had a terrible upbringing, how his stepdad used to pull him out of bed at night and, you know, whip him with a, a tree branch and how we had it good because he only used the belt buckle and this, he used to use this feather duster, this plastic end of a feather duster and how we were so lucky to only have that to be getting our spankings by. He would lecture us all the time on how he hated our mom, how she disgusted him and how he was trapped into the marriage that he had this whole other life planned out, that he was supposed to be a drummer on California and that he was just trying to do the right thing by marrying mom because she got pregnant. He used to call us kids maggots and dogs. And he used to, there was this local park over in, by our house in Hazel Park. And he used to load us all in the car and take us to this park. and threaten us kids that there were rats the size of German shepherds that were going to eat us. And he would use this against us. He would tell us, I'm taking you all to Rat Park. The rats are going to get you guys tonight. And us kids were so scared of that park for years and years and years. Now that we're adults, we say that to one another. When we need to be reassured about something, we'll say, don't worry, this isn't Rat Park. Isn't that crazy? Still to this day, I could not even imagine sticking a bunch of kids in a, in a car, taking them to a park and telling them that there was rats the size of dogs that were going to eat them. And so sometimes when dad would do this and, you know, the beatings would ensue and stuff, when he had the belt or the feather duster, I always thought that I would want the belt over the feather duster because it's the feather duster stung almost worse than the belt and it definitely bruised more and it left these like thin red welts all up and down our hamstrings. So it was really hard to sit at the next day at school. We would have to watch our siblings endure their beating and then endure our own. And I remember one time looking at dad's face and I was thinking, isn't he tired? I mean, his face would be red and his hair was out of place. And he didn't have to beat us, right? Like he could choose to stop. But of course he didn't. 
And now that I'm older, I know that it's because he was so drugged up. He was on whatever drugs he was taking, Coke, crack, whatever he was smoking. And so that's why his face was red. That's why he looked so worn out from the beatings because he was the drugs took everything out of him. Now, on the night of us girls being brought home by the local police, we got a beating so bad. I remember opening my window and crying from the pain just so a neighbor would hear and come and help us. But dad had lectured us on how we were telling other people our business and how how dare us let everybody know what goes on in the family and how we lied and made him feel bad and look bad. And all my sister was trying to do was getting food for us. I mean, the things that our dad used to tell us about it was his responsibility to get dinner and how he needed to figure it out. And it just made my sister feel so bad. At 10 years old, she went to stealing dinner for her siblings. Now, these were common occurrences. Dad was high as a kite all the time, abusing us kids just for the kick of it. And us kids used to have to listen to his stories about he hated our mom, hated us kids, how he hated his life, the nightly parties. One night, Dad was gone, and our older brother, our half-brother, he was living in the garage. Now, our half-brother, he was raised by our mom's mom, our grandma. And when she passed away, he moved in with us. But I guess dad being gone, he was supposed to be the one watching us. But God only knew what dad was doing. So our older brother, he was living in the garage and the garage was full of all grandma stuff. And I don't know what he was doing there. Later, we found out that he was smoking and he had a candle lit and, and actually tipped over. But the garage caught on fire. And so the neighbors from next door, the ones that I wished would come save us, came over and were, was pounding on the door, telling us to get out of the house. I don't think they knew that our parents were gone. And so they were screaming and yelling and, you know, telling us as a fire, get out, get out, get out. And I was 10 years old at this time. And I remember thinking, is the house going to catch on fire? Are we going to die? Where's mom? Where's dad? What happened? You know, you get into the brain fog in the middle of the night. It's probably like 2, 3 a.m. And my us three girls shared a room and my younger sister, she had the top bunk and she wasn't getting up. And I remember looking back and not seeing her run behind me. So I turned around, ran back down the hallway. I pulled her out of the top bunk. I was so scared. I'm like, come on, we have to go. There's a fire. There's a fire. So we get outside and the neighbors are out there. And the whole backyard is just black smoke. I mean, it was huge. This fire, it was like all the way past um, the electrical wires, the garage. It was like leaning over on its side, getting ready to like crumble down. And there was just ash blowing everywhere. I will never, ever forget that sight. And so the firefighters are coming. The police are coming. The neighbors down the street are coming out of their houses. The next door neighbors, they put us in their van and they get us some blankets and stuff. It's cold outside. and. Our parents aren't around. And so they're doing what needs to be done. They're putting out the fire. My older brother is crying and he's talking to the police how it was his fault. And it was just a sight to be seen. I still remember it to this day. And then down the street, here comes dad walking up the street as the sun's rising. 
he didn't even seem to be that worried. And he's talking to the police and everything. And then mom comes home soon after. And us kids, we were still in the van. We weren't allowed to leave. But we could hear our mom screaming and we could see out the window that dad was just standing there. And I remember thinking to myself, is dad relieved that nothing awful happened to us? Or is he disappointed that nothing awful happened to us? And I'll never forget thinking that at 10 years old about my own father, if he really wanted something awful to happen to us, because he did awful things to us. Later that day, we were listening to our parents talk about everything that was happening. Our mom was yelling, our dad, where were you? How could you let this happen? But they never took us aside and sat us down and explained to us exactly what happened. I remember all of us were upstairs. We had this playroom upstairs and we were kind of talking amongst ourselves. Like, did you see that fire? Did you see the smoke? And can you believe that happened? And where was dad? And we were just kind of, you know how kids are, but they never, our parents never told us that they were sorry that we went through that alone, that we were home alone, that what we saw was scary and that they were reassuring us. Nothing ever changed. Like nothing. The arguing continued. The screaming continued. Dad continued to use mom's checks for his drugs. Mom continued to go to work or school. And us kids, we just continued to be beaten on a regular basis while we went to bed hungry or we went to school hungry, sleeping in our cold beds, not having water to wash up with. Just nothing changed. And so to all of you out there listening to this, please, please be assured that you are not a product of your environment. You are not determined by your parents and their actions and their lives. You are not to be dictated by your upbringing. I refused to become a statistic and you can too. Please know that you are worth loving and that you are worthy of love that you are allowed to express this love to yourself, this attention to yourself that you may have never gotten growing up or that you're not getting now. I'm here to help you see this and to believe this. We all can be an example of what we determine our lives to be. Don't let your circumstances determine who you want to be. Okay, everybody, that's it for this week. Come find me at coachwithnolan.com. Send me an email at coachwithnolan at gmail.com. Let's talk and let me help you on your path to the pursuit of confidence. I hope you all have a wonderful week and I'll talk to you soon.